Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Overheight disaster. Drivers got to know the height of their load. Another overpass hit by a high load with nearly deadly consequences for following drivers. No justice for a woman violently and randomly assaulted. It gives a message that male violence against women uh, is um, can, can continue with impunity. Outrage over the light sentence for the man who attacked her. And no deal on health care help from the feds. If they're not acknowledging and recognizing the crisis in communities across the country, they're asleep at the switch, quite frankly. Why the first minister's meeting ends with a major disappointment. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It's happening with startling frequency. Another Metro Vancouver overpass has been struck by a truck with an overheight load. And this time it was the 192nd Street overpass in Surrey. It happened this morning and inconvenienced thousands of commuters on Highway 1. Now let's take a look at the current situation. Our Global One helicopter has a live shot of the backup affecting the evening rush. And as Kamal Karamali reports, this latest crash is the third like it in little more than a month. A tangled mess of steel, concrete and shattered glass scattered across Highway 1 Tuesday morning. An excavator splayed out, ripped from its undercarriage. Uh, <laughs> bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah, it was some pretty uh, decent carnage. Uh, hard to recognize what it was. An excavator being hauled by a dump truck didn't appear to have its bucket completely collapsed as it approached the 192nd Street overpass around 8 a.m. The result? Part of the bucket collided into the overpass, tearing a chunk right off. Concrete covered the highway below, the chaos damaging three vehicles. BC Emergency Health Services says two people were sent to hospital. Most bridges, it has a clearance height posted right on it. Drivers got to know the height of their load. Plain and simple. You're not paying attention. Yeah. You know, you have to... Anything that's oversized, you have to plan your route. The westbound HOV lanes of Highway 1 completely closed to traffic for hours, while the 192nd Street overpass also closed much into the afternoon while crews assessed the damage. This is the third incident of a truck hitting an overpass in just over a month. A similar incident on the 232nd Street overpass in late June is estimated to cost a million dollars to repair. 
and earlier. The Canby Road overpass in Richmond was also hit, causing major road closures. Now a call for more transparency and publicizing the crash reports. We regularly talk to and work with the ministry, but I I think this is a a signal that it's time to change what we're doing and to really uh, start to move those reports out and, and publicize the reports of what's happening. For now, relief from everyone involved in a collision that looked so dramatic, the result could have been much worse. Kamal Karamali, Global News. New information today in a fatal stabbing in Yaletown Monday morning and police are now appealing for more witnesses to come forward. Julia Foy is live with more on what happened and why police need help from the public. Julia. Well, Chris, this is such a popular area of downtown Vancouver. It's vibrant. There are restaurants along the street, people walking with their dogs, children shopping at many hours of the day and night. So the fact that something so horrific could happen at 8.30 in the morning has police wondering there must be people that know something and saw something. A 29-year-old man was stabbed. But when police attended, they managed to take him to hospital, but he did not survive. Now, we're told that a 34-year-old woman was taken into police custody at that time. But there are so many questions about what led up to this. Was it a stranger attack? Did they know each other? This is what VPD had to say today. We know there were a lot of people out there. 8.30 in the morning, on a Monday morning, lots of people walking around, lots of people driving around. We know there were people who um, likely saw um, the initial interaction, uh, probably saw the stabbing occur, and then saw the aftermath. Um, We're still looking for some of those people to come forward. All right, they obviously need some help with the investigation. What's the latest on any charges laid or what the status of the suspect is, Julia? Well, I think a lot of people were very curious because we expected that there might be something renounced today regarding charges. When we did follow up with VPD, they said that the woman is no longer in police custody, but she has been taken to a hospital for care. So we'll give you the latest when it becomes available in the coming days. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Julia. That's Julia Foy reporting in Vancouver. Anger and frustration tonight over the sentence handed to a man who attacked a woman in Vancouver's West End. As Kristen Robinson reports, not only will the attacker not go to jail, he might end up with no criminal record. Surveillance captured Robert Douglas Ferry in the West End alley, where he grabbed a 24-year-old woman from behind at night. The 59-year-old pleaded guilty to assault last month. He was sentenced to a conditional discharge and two years probation in the 2021 stranger attack. If Ferry meets all his conditions, he will have no criminal record. It gives a message that male violence against women uh, is, um, can, can continue with impunity, that there is actually no criminal result if a man attacks a woman in an alley at nighttime. The attack happened in Maxine Lane between Butte and Thurlow Streets, about three blocks from Ferry's home. Hi, Bob Ferry? Yes. Hi, Bob. It's Kristen Robinson calling from Global News here. Just wondering if you wanted to talk about the assault conviction and the conditional discharge? Uh, No, thank you. Before his arrest, Ferry was the produce manager at Save on Foods Capilano in North Vancouver. 
An employee says he is no longer working at the store. Ferry must abide by several conditions, including no contact with the victim, attending counseling, mental health care appointments, and taking all medications and medical treatment prescribed to him. This would suggest that there were some underlying mental health issues that may have contributed to this um, unfortunate offense. Criminal lawyer Ravi Hira says conditional discharges are rare, but can be granted when in the best interests of the accused and in cases where offenders with no criminal record plead guilty. Three quarters of the cases we've seen recently and cases that we've looked at recently involve people where mental health is a suspected factor in, um, in, in the crime. Vancouver police say the city is still averaging four random assaults per day. And after analyzing 44 stranger attacks this spring with 40 different suspects, Mental health was a contributing factor in 73% of cases. Ferry, who has no criminal record, must also pay a $100 victim surcharge. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Canada's premiers are uniting to push the federal government for more health care funding. But the group's summer gathering is wrapping up with little to no progress so far, and their demands have been ignored. First ministers say the pandemic exposed some cracks and erosion in the health care system throughout the country. Richard Zussman has more on what they're demanding. After months of hoping this would be the week a new health care deal in Canada would be struck, Canada's premiers coming up empty-handed. We don't want to quibble about the money. We want to get at the table to talk to the federal government. If they're not acknowledging and recognizing the crisis in communities across the country, they're asleep at the switch, quite frankly. Frustration boiling over. The federal government not even willing to meet with the provinces about funding. Ottawa wanting to see a clear plan on where the money would go. We shared a, a, a basket of initiatives with them and nothing came back. Nothing came back. So. With the greatest respect to the federal ministers who are now suggesting that everything is fine, go and talk to human beings. The province is insisting Ottawa provides just 22% of health care funding and is asking for that to go up to 35%, an estimated $28 billion per year increase. BC Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau says BC Premier John Horgan can't just rely on Ottawa to cure an ailing health care system. I can't understand why after five years of governing, he doesn't have a vision and a clear set of things that he would accomplish with more funding. What do we want? Doctors! Stuck in the middle of the political back and forth, the British Columbians looking for a family doctor, waiting in an emergency room, or generally let down by a struggling healthcare system. There are stats that suggest that because of the primary care crisis BC is facing, there are up to four deaths a day that are linked to primary care deficits. The Canadian Medical Association says they appreciate the Premier's pushing for more money, but contend all politicians need to push past the fighting. We've been sounding the alarm about the healthcare system for a long time. It's just right now it's at a level of crisis I think that we haven't seen where there's real true risks to people's health by not being able to access care. One suggestion for an immediate fix would be a plan in terms of the human resources needed to make the health care system run smoother in each province. But until then, as fighting continues, it means Canadians wait a little bit longer for the health care they so desperately need. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this story. Keith, Premier Horgan called out the Prime Minister for not being a part of the beatings. Uh, at what point might the PM actually have to take note of this? 
Well, you know, I think he's taking note already because it's not just any premier leading the charge here of criticism of Mr. Trudeau. It's John Horgan. And John Horgan and uh, Justin Trudeau have had a very good relationship for a number of years. People jokingly, half-jokingly call it a bromance. The federal government very active in B.C. They've gotten along quite a bit. But today, as you saw in Richard's story, John Horgan very frustrated at the lack of attention coming from Ottawa, even citing or quoting an old Supremes tune, Where Did the Love Go? And now... Uh, eight months later, we're exchanging notes uh, through the media. I, 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 you know, where'd the love go? You know, I mean, everything was so fine, and then it wasn't. I mean, this is, it, it's, it's vexing that we could have made so much progress together. And now when we, we all recognize that the cracks in our precious healthcare system are there for all to see, most importantly, our citizens who want services, when we turn to our partners, our allies, and say, hey, let's get together and figure this out. They go, no, you got enough. So the federal government, of course, is partners with BC and more than just the healthcare system. There's big money, federal money, in the Sky Train extension uh, in Surrey. There's big money, federal money, in the subway line. And the big question now is, will this breakdown in relationship between Ottawa and the provinces, particularly BC, affect other potential federal sources of funding? And that's basically the Massey Tunnel Replacement Project. The feds are expected to put uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into that project. And we'll see if this relationship breakdown right now affects federal funding for that project. All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Now to a global news exclusive. A leaked email indicated the Vancouver Fire Department had planned to stop responding to certain medical calls as of tomorrow morning. The department blames chronic ambulance delays tying up its members, but a late development means the plan is at least for now on hold. Jordan Armstrong joins us with the details. Jordan. And Chris, it is on hold, but the problems are still on the table. Sources inside the fire department say what it comes down to is the system is no longer functioning as intended. It's supposed to work like this. When someone suffers a non-life-threatening injury, like a senior who's had a fall, firefighters show up, quickly assess the patient, and hand them off to BC Ambulance within minutes. But as we've been reporting for more than a year now, the ambulance can take more than an hour to arrive. The firefighters, though, have to stay with that patient even if a much more serious call comes in. So the fire department had a plan in place to, as of 8 a.m. Wednesday, only respond to life-threatening calls, overdoses, burns, hazmat, emergencies, motor vehicle accidents, and technical rescues. Chief Karen Fry informed staff of the policy change yesterday in this memo obtained by the NewsHour. Quote, extended wait times for paramedics to arrive on scene ties up our firefighters who, due to their licensing requirements, are not permitted to leave a patient until a transfer of care is made. VFRS has seen wait times increase to where we are on scene for nearly one hour for 90% of our responses in 2022. This is up from 32 minutes in 2019. We reached out to BC Emergency Health Services and they did not respond by deadline. However, we understand that the two sides had some discussions this afternoon and the fire department has agreed to put this plan on hold at least for a few weeks. But at a time when a million British Columbians don't have a family doctor, emergency rooms are closing amid staff shortages, ambulance wait times remain an issue. Here's another crisis for the health ministry to figure out. Chris. That's right. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. New Westminster considers a rebrand, how the royal city could drop its historic nickname and how residents feel about it next on the NewsHour. You notice more people wearing hats now because they're all going like this, eh? 
Coming up on the news hour, the BC town being eaten alive. What's causing the swarm of mosquitoes? And a bus stop bear encounter that's going viral. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, a big change in store for BC's first capital city as it moves away from its colonial image. New Westminster City Council has voted to phase out its royal city nickname. But as Imadagahi reports, not everyone is on board with the idea. Of the 21 municipalities that combine to make up Metro Vancouver, perhaps the one most wedded to a nickname, slogan or moniker is New Westminster. You know, the city has, has long standing had the moniker the, the Royal City. It's believed in 1859 after Queen Victoria named the city New Westminster, it became synonymous with the crown and royalty. To this day, it's found just about everywhere you look. We have item 7.1, which is rebranding the city of New Westminster from myself. On Monday night, Mayor Jonathan Cote suggested the city slowly begin removing both the crown and the moniker from its branding to make way for something more inclusive of the area's history before British settlement. As the years have gone by, as uh, we as a city have become more diverse, uh, as, as we've engaged in, in our work on reconciliation, I think the time has really come for us to, to evolve our, our branding beyond the Royal City branding. It's not a bad idea. The timing's terrible. Councillor Chuck Puckmeyer cites costs, staffing issues, and the upcoming municipal election as reasons why he was the only councillor to vote against the decision. And it's an election where we really need to focus on a lot of really important issues in the city, and I don't want to see it distracted by this. This is something clearly that we can engage in, the new council can engage in. I'm glad it's being looked at. I think it's a good... Uh... It's a good question to start asking. If it has impact and it's an important impact, then um, I really think it should be looked at. In effort for recon re reconciliation, I understand that, but um, I don't know, I would keep it. The motion made no mention of consultation with Kakite First Nation, whose unceded land is current day New Westminster. What's also missing, whether this decision will eventually extend to the name of city streets or amenities. Imadagahi, Global News. The emotional work of searching for unmarked graves at the former Alberni Residential School has begun. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the more than 100 First Nations who had children attend that institution are bracing for what may be found. With every site searched, the numbers continue to climb. 93 is our number. Like these are children. More than a year after the first unmarked graves were discovered in Canada, it's become clear this is just the beginning. You know, we've heard all the things uh, about potential unmarked graves growing up living in this community. And so uh, we're essentially going to be bringing truth to all of that. On Monday, the Seishot First Nation began the first phase of scanning on the grounds of the former Alberni Indian Residential School, where children from at least 100 First Nations across the country attended between 1900 and 1973. That's who we think about every day. I hope that I, we can help alleviate some of their stress and get the answers that they need and deserve. And, and those that didn't make it home and those family members who, who have questions, right? The impacts are huge, really large, and so it's going to hit everybody. The Seishat, along with the Nuchanath Tribal Council, has spent the past year working to prepare the necessary supports for the survivors, their families, staff, and the communities at large. Because we know 
the numbers are going to be big. We just know. I mean, it was a large residential school. So many generations of our children were in there. And we know that there'll be, you know, from all of the accounts of the survivors, there'll be a lot of um, children that we will find their bodies. Because it's considered sacred work, cultural protocols are being observed while the scanning takes place. A Transport Canada no-fly zone has been implemented and no photos or video is permitted. Geoscan, a company with experience carrying out ground-penetrating radar at other former residential schools, is conducting the work. It's expected it will take some time to analyze the findings, but the First Nation is hoping to release the information to the affected communities and later the public sometime this fall. We're going to do the best we can for survivors and their children and those that didn't make it home. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, thousands of race fans with worthless tickets. Now they've gone completely silent. The fallout from the cancelled E-Fest and frustrated customers fighting to get their money back. And what tech experts say about the Rogers outage and how vulnerable customers are to it happening again. Double trouble here in Surrey, westbound Highway 1 at 192nd Street. We have a crash that's pulled over to the painted median, right at the 192nd Street overpass between the HOV lane and regular lanes. Highway 1 westbound down to one lane due to damage at the 192 overpass, which is closed itself, and that has westbound Highway 1 traffic lined up from 216th to 192nd. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $10 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Camp Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. An event once considered the next big thing for the city of Vancouver has turned into a big headache for the thousands who bought tickets. With the Formula E race and festival now cancelled for this year and next year, Ticket holders are still waiting for refunds. Aaron MacArthur reports. Uh, in, it's in section 4D, uh, row 3, seat 4. The tickets Don Weber has in his hands are worthless. These are good tickets. Paid almost $700 for seats to an event that no longer exists. Well, you can't help but think it's a pyramid uh, structure that, they're got, that they've got themselves into. Rome is the safety car comes E-Fest in. was rolled out with a big splash in 2021. Car racing back on the streets of Vancouver. A throwback to the IndyCar series that roared around False Creek. Consecutive victory. It seemed everyone was on board, and it looked like cars were all but given the green flag. But despite more than 30,000 tickets sold, early in 2022 it was announced the event was being postponed until next year. There were questions about permitting and questions about getting everything ready on a short timeline. Now over a year. Ticket holders were given the option of deferring until 2023. Weber was out. He'd already lost confidence. Uh, and now they've gone completely silent. Uh, I can't even get an address. The last message to ticket holders was that refunds would start to be processed in July. Larry Sewell hasn't seen a dime. What's more concerning, he hasn't heard anything from the organizer. The last email I got was May 9th. That's two, well, two, two plus months. And not, no phone calls, no emails returned. The answering machine still works, but no return messages. Victory! 
Matthew Carter as the president of One Stop Strategy. He ignored Global's attempt to get comment about the refund situation. The PR firm working with OSS sent a short statement that reads, OSS will not be providing an update at this time. They will reach out to media and other stakeholders when they have all in place. In order to make sure the process is precise, timelines cannot be rushed. It would seem to me that a small court action would be the next step, but uh, who knows. The city of Vancouver says it has ceased all preparation work for the eFest and has not received any other application for a future event. The company giving no indication it can pay back the potentially hundreds of millions of dollars it has already taken from ticket holders. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The federal government is demanding Canada's major telecom players come up with a contingency plan within the next two months, a kind of safety net for the next emergency following the widespread Rogers outage that began Friday. But as Anne Gaviola explains, critics call the approach a Band-Aid solution for a major and ongoing problem. Ottawa's response to the Rogers network outage that impacted more than 12 million people follows the wisdom of not putting all your eggs in the same basket. This was uh, unacceptable, full stop. By creating a safety net that doesn't put the onus on a single carrier, putting our proverbial telecom eggs in multiple baskets. A formal agreement is due within 60 days from the seven biggest telecoms. The contingency plan must cover emergency roaming and mutual assistance, outlining how companies will work together to keep access to emergency services going, plus a formal protocol for communicating with authorities and the public. This is very much inspired about what the uh, United States just implemented uh, in terms of network resilience in case of disaster, but it goes well beyond. The big three, Bell, TELUS and Rogers, together control 90% of the market, and they've all told Global News they're on board. But some analysts question this approach, saying this is the second major Rogers outage in 15 months. Rogers has to, is basically the weak uh, player in the three because their network is antiquated it's obviously flawed. There are issues that make it uh, um, problematic and dysfunctional. Allowing Rogers to get help from others doesn't address potential issues within its systems and raises a host of legal issues. As for questions about why this happened, this is the explanation from Rogers' CEO. We had a network maintenance upgrade that was put in place that had an error in it, and that error caused our equipment to fail and that caused an overload of data within our core network and caused it to shut down. The CRTC, which regulates the industry, is conducting its own investigation into the root cause of the outage. Rogers has until next Friday to respond to questions in greater detail. With Canada rolling out its 5G networks, the next generation of internet, this tech expert says it's critical to ensure there's a plan to prevent and manage emergency disruptions. 5G will mean more reliance on broadband cellular networks than ever before. At some point, we are going to have homes that are far more connected. You know, lights are connected, our dishwasher could be connected. That scope could get a lot larger. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. And it didn't take long for scammers to jump on the Rogers outage. The company is now warning its customers, if you get a message telling you how to claim your credit, 
It's fake. Not long after that Canada-wide outage last week left millions without service, Rogers promised to give its customers credits. Rogers customers are now receiving texts purportedly from the company telling them to click, click on a link to get that credit. But Rogers is now sending out legitimate messages to its customers warning those texts are scams. The company says it is handing out credits proactively and no action is required by its customers. Still ahead, ICBC loses in court the ruling that gives the edge back to injured drivers fighting for compensation and why this might not be the end of it. Plus, more shocking testimony from the January 6th committee and how Donald Trump refused to listen to the people closest to him. I'm Amber in Global One above the Alex Fraser Bridge, and it is looking pretty nice here both ways for Highway 91 to and from North Delta. But on the North Delta side tonight, we do have overnight road work affecting the Nordell on-ramp onto southbound Highway 91. Right at the moment, we have four lanes into uh, North Delta and three lanes into Richmond. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $10 million. Lotto Max dreamed to the max. Above the Alex Fraser Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. The committee investigating the assault on the U.S. Capitol today turned its focus on the extremist groups that took part in the attack and any possible links to Donald Trump. The hearing also shone a light on a December 19th tweet from the former president, which predicted January 6th would be, quote, wild, arguing it shows the event was pre-planned. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. And these hearings, the seventh in a series of an unknown number, once again attempted to paint former President Trump as someone who was able to understand the difference between right and wrong. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Arguing dereliction of duty, the committee played testimony from former Trump administration officials, each saying they knew Trump had lost and that he needed to concede. Instead, on December 18th, Trump held a meeting in the Oval Office with election conspiracy theorists who were seeking ways to keep Trump as president. Trump's former White House counsel was having no part of that. And we were asking one simple question as a, as a general matter. Where is the evidence? Now, refusing to concede on December 19th, Trump sent a tweet repeating election lies and inviting people to protest in D.C. on January 6th, saying it would be wild. On Wednesday, a former member of the far-right militia, Oath Keepers with ties to Trump allies, and a man who pleaded guilty for taking part in the riot, testified they saw that tweet as a call to action, lending to the committee's argument that this riot was planned, not spontaneous. When you arrived on the Ellipse that morning, were you planning on going to the Capitol? Uh, you know, the president you know, got everybody riled up, told everybody to head on down. So we basically were just following what he said. Now, the committee says that Trump's tweet was sent with the intent to mobilize a crowd, which it did. Some members of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys have been indicted on charges of seditious conspiracy. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. The provincial government is now considering its options now that a judge has struck down changes to ICBC. Those changes were meant to limit costs, but they have been ruled unconstitutional. Catherine Urquhart now with what this means for tens of thousands of other personal injury claims. Two years ago, then 75-year-old Tayi Sao Lee was seriously injured after being struck by three vehicles. At the time, she was attempting to cross Victoria Drive in Vancouver. 
She subsequently sued ICBC, but under 2019 legislation, plaintiffs are limited in recovery of expenses related to experts. But now a B.C. Supreme Court judge has ruled capping those costs is unconstitutional. In this case, the court ultimately found that the government regulation impeded the court's core jurisdiction ultimately to fairly decide matters between the parties because it created a barrier for plaintiffs to proceed to trial or to pursue all of their claims. This was the second time the courts struck down an attempt to limit ICBC's litigation costs. That first controversial change was made in 2019. Then, after it failed, it was legislatively altered and reintroduced. Unlimited adversarial experts all paid for by ICBC, by you and me through our car insurance, are just one more example of spending funded by car insurance premiums that does not advance any interest. In the latest court decision, Tai Sao Lee was one of two representative plaintiffs in the court challenge, which could impact many other injured parties. These were two people who were prepared to step forward and say there is an unfairness here. But the reality is it created unfairness in thousands of cases. In response to the court's decision, B.C.'s public safety minister had this to say. Currently, the, uh, the judgment of the court is uh, under review by the uh, attorney general's ministry uh, with a view to potentially uh, appealing it. As for when there could be a decision on a possible appeal, that remains unclear. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, a snapshot from the birth of the universe. That's just really mind-blowing. How the Webb Telescope is sending back images light years ahead of anything science has seen before. Also tonight, the bear at the bus stop. Thank goodness it stopped when it did. Um, I would just like... Some stunning images tonight from deep space. Look at that thing. (laughs) NASA releasing a series of color pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope providing the most detailed look ever at the origins of the universe. Clusters of galaxies where every dot is an individual star, not unlike our own sun, and many likely also have planets. Scientists are seeing elements of oxygen and hydrogen as well. The NASA team stressing this is just the beginning of a new era in astrophysics and space exploration. The Webb telescope launched with enough fuel to continue its mission for two decades or more. Can't wait to see more photos. Yeah. All right, back here on Earth, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at uh, what seems to be finally a nice stretch of summer weather, Christy. That's right. We've got several more days of this. Now, today was a bit hot for some, probably away from the water, because we saw humid eggs values up to 33 out through the Fraser Valley. Uh, So if the heat isn't what you like, you're in for a great day tomorrow. Before I get into the numbers, I want to show you this. Uh, Currently, there uh, is a Category 3 fire ban across the Caribou, the Camlets fire region, as well as southeastern portions. But uh, as of Friday at 12 p.m., uh, so 12 noon, uh, we are going to see the Kamloops fire region and southeastern regions change over to category two. So you can still have a campfire, but you can't have anything larger than that in the Kamloops and southeastern portions. And that's again noon on Friday. And there's a look at those temperatures out there right now. It's cooled off just a tad. Tonight, it will cool off even more. We're expecting a bit of cloud cover and we'll see that tomorrow morning, but it clears out really quickly. So lots of sunshine for your Wednesday, but temperatures are going to be back to near seasonal. So we're talking about highs ranging from 20 
21 to 24 degrees across Metro Vancouver and a touch cooler in through the interior. So from uh, mid to upper 30s and through the interior with the Humidex uh, today uh, or tomorrow, you can expect close to 30. So lots of sunshine, as Sophie mentioned. I want to point out the showers I've kept in on Sunday. The models are not in agreement as to what we can see on Monday. So tune back in and we'll find that forecast. But I just want to give you a heads up. Sunday still looking a bit iffy. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Powell River. And I really couldn't decide. So I also am showing you another central windows weather window uh, coming to you from this is Seton Lake shouldn't say thunderstorms but Seton Lake there skid uh, Sid Scotchman sending us that uh, I really couldn't decide they were both great all right guys back to you beautiful pics thanks very much Christy caught on video a close encounter with a bear in BC and it's going viral did somebody lose their dog <laughs> The video shot in Whistler and posted on TikTok by Natalie Wanamaker. A black bear walks right up to an unidentified woman sitting at a bus stop. She edges away as it takes a few sniffs before wandering away. Um, I would just like chill. Um, I felt the need to kind of like help coach her through it. Um, I'd worked with bears and stuff because of my experience with photography. And so I knew that like with a black bear, it's a lot better for you to make noise and make it aware of your presence than it is to like um, make it feel threatened or to like surprise it in any way by trying to run or something like that. And so um, just told her to kind of chill is what I had said and uh, make sure that she was just not doing anything to startle it either. Wanamaker says she sees several black bears every day and she knows what to do when they're around. Her video is now approaching 5 million views. <laughs> that is not a dog, as <laughs> most people would understand, but mm -hmm. funny on that filter. Okay, uh, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Yes, the Whitecaps have a road game tomorrow in Cincinnati. It's not going to be easy without midfielder Andre Kubas, who is not healthy enough to play. When he doesn't play, we need to use different weapons because different players have different characteristics. And Kubis isn't the only white cap hurt, so Vanny needs to find 11 starters who are healthy and can work together tomorrow. Also tonight, buzz off the battle against the swarm of mosquitoes in B.C. All right, Squire is here now. What's happening, Squire? Well, um, you can think of... The NHL free agency is a big store with the shoppers lined up outside. Doors open 9 a.m. hour time tomorrow. There are high price items, the most impressive being Johnny Gaudreau. He says he will not return to the Flames. He is now available to the highest bidder. Calgary made him a big offer, but he said no. So the Canucks, they're not after Johnny Gaudreau types. They'll be shopping for bargains. One thing Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have to do is find some players for the bottom six. They want forwards who are big, physical, but can chip in the odd goal and can skate. Now that sounds like a lot to ask for a low salary, but that's the goal. Again, provided the Canucks don't free up more money through a trade. If they do that, they'd be able to look at more expensive players. Well, it's now official. Penticton's Duncan Keith, one of the most decorated defensemen of his generation, has officially retired after spending the last of his 17 NHL seasons with the Edmonton Oilers so he could play games closer to his family. Now, Keith has a rather large trophy case, three Stanley Cups with Chicago, two Norris trophies as a top defenseman, a Conn Smythe trophy as the playoff MVP, and two Olympic gold medals with Canada. No doubt he is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he thanked a lot of people today, especially 
fellow BC defenseman Brent Seabrook, who was his partner for a long time in Chicago. But most of all, the man from Penticton thanked his family. Um, my mom, I wouldn't be up here today without my mom yelling at me to get up off the ice when I was a little kid. Uh, laying down on the ice crying because I fell down. So without her, I wouldn't be here today. And without my dad, uh, saw me on the dream of being an NHL player. So thank you, mom and dad. And lastly, I want to thank you, Colt, my boy. Love you. Love you. He was... Uh, a huge inspiration for me the last uh, the last few years, especially uh, being able to to play in front of him and uh, and just have him around more meant a lot. Great player. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps fought their way back into the playoff race after that terrible start to this season, so they can ill afford to go backwards now. But this is a possibility with injuries, especially as we mentioned earlier to Andres Kubas, who has become the Whitecaps' strongest link of late. There's a handful of challenges that await Vanny Sartini and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Most pressing at the moment is fielding a healthy and competitive starting 11. Right now, the Caps are missing eight regulars due to injury, the latest being Andres Kubas, who exited the Caps' last match with an abductor strain and won't play in Cincinnati on Wednesday. He brings... Uh the quality of winning the ball back, uh, tackling and winning those 1v1 defensively, that's basically what's the main quality why, why we signed him. And of course, when he doesn't play, we need to use different weapons because different players have different characteristics. So it's, uh, uh, we need to be even more compact. We need to be even more, I would say, structured defensively because we need to win in the ball more with interception maybe than win with 1v1. You can't overstate how big of a loss not having Kubis in the lineup is for the Caps. They remain three points out of a playoff spot and are now playing five matches including the Canadian Championship in just over a two-week period. All you have to do is look no further than Vancouver's loss to Minnesota where the Caps conceded three second-half goals in a complete meltdown. All of it happening without Kubis on the pitch. You know, he, he helps organize uh, everything in midfield. He helps uh, every player around him. He's obviously very well drilled and breaks up a lot of plays. Uh, so we're going to miss that. We're not a team that scored 27 goals a, a game. So in order to win, we need to keep our uh, goal shot. We are the second teams in the, in the, in the league for numbers of clean sheet. We need to continue doing this because only with this, I think... Uh, According to our characteristic, we're going to make the playoff. Jay Janower, Global Sports. The British Open, or the Open Championship, starts Thursday at St. Andrews, and members of the Live Golf Tour will be playing alongside PGA members like Tiger Woods, who is not a fan of the Breakaway Tour and the players who left the PGA for it. I disagree with it. Um, I think that... Uh, what they've done is they've, they've turned our, their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. Um, some players have never got a chance to even experience it. Uh, they've, they've gone right from the amateur ranks right into you know, that organization um, and never really got a chance to, to play out here and, and 
what it feels like to play a tour schedule or, or to um, play in some big events. But what these players are doing for you know guaranteed money, um, what, what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? All right, there you go. You got to earn it in the dirt, Squire. I like that term. You got to earn it in the dirt when it's you play golf. The only way to golf. do it. That's Put it right. on a bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. Up next, mosquitoes on a mission. The insect invasion in parts of Metro Vancouver. Well, after June came and went without any mosquitoes, July has people around Metro Vancouver literally bugging out. It's directly related to the damp, cool spring we had, but some areas are seeing it worse than others. Jasmine Bala has more from Fort Langley, where mosquitoes are taking over the town. One of them nasty little is just chewing on me there, but I got her. Feeling itchy? We had our grandkids over the other day, yeah. and before they went to bed, we killed 37 of them <laughs> inside the house. You're not imagining it. They're everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Front, back. Down my legs, the whole lot. I think they're trying to fly up your shorts now. Nothing is safe. <laughs> they're trying to eat your camera right now, actually. And no one. There's one on your hand, and the other hand's here, and your head. <laughs> Including our cameraman, who got eaten alive. Oh, there's one that was going for it. People are bugging out in Fort Langley over the number of mosquitoes buzzing around. Mosquitoes need moisture. They need moisture to breed. Fort Langley flanked by a breeding hotspot, the Fraser River. The more water, the more flooding, the more mosquito eggs that hatch. But what's happened this year is the river has peaked three times. So every single time we see a new peak in the Fraser River, we need to, to treat for that new hatch of mosquitoes. Calver is part of the team that takes care of Metro Vancouver's mosquito problem by targeting larvae. So we apply a target-specific, non-toxic granule directly to the standing water. Sometimes by hand, and other times by air. We will get a, approximately 85 to 90% of all those mosquito larvae within that body of water. However, you just can't get them all, and that remaining 10 to 15% has now hatched. And that's what's causing this. I've got like 12 bites in the last bite. So how do you fight the bite? We do recommend repellents and also light color clothing is better than dark. You can look at the different, the different thermocell technology. So maybe avoid those early morning and dusk walks. And there's always the old fashioned way. What do I do with them? Kill them. <laughs> They're all going like this, eh? <laughs> it may suck for now, but the suckers will only be around for a few more weeks before dying off. Jazzambala, Global News. Don't like them. Right. Don't like them. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Little vampires. Uh, all right, last word on weather with uh, Christy before we go. Sure, so we will get relief from the heat tonight. 15 degrees overnight, a little cooler tomorrow, but still very pleasant summer-like weather. All right, glad to hear it. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.